Oh, hello. That's so adorable. I told you I did it! I got it! I mean, TTRPGs are about fun and about collaboration. The, what this all builds, what this is all building towards, is more empathetic connections between people. There you go. Go there in the end. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Delightful Dungeon Diving Podcast, a coffee table podcast dedicated to talking TTRPGs and character development. We like to start each episode with a bewitching beverage of sorts, a narrative scene of characters in a TTRPG world that represents the topic we're discussing today. Today's beverage is a steaming hot cup of chamomile tea called The Crew. Uh, Emily, would you like to introduce your character? Oh, I will. Thank you very much, Hannah. So I today am playing Lumen. Uh, They are an elven wizard who is highly capable and well-regarded. Lumen has trouble connecting with typical emotions and facial expressions, sometimes mistaking intent or misreading a situation. Lumen is much more comfortable in the heat of the action where they can focus on their role and not have to think about anything else. (laughs) Um, I'm very much looking forward to playing Lumen quite a bit. I will be playing uh, Babin today. He's a turtle druid purported to be the best tracker and guide through the Hookfell Swamp. However, as the crew is planning to investigate the high society of the city and travel aboard the lightning train, the Infinitum, Batman, a non-classically educated individual, we'll say, with no usual need of money, is unsure of his place in the crew. And uh, Babin will be uh, pulled from the cage inside of my family. So this is going to be fun. Ooh. Lovely. Uh, I will be playing... Francis, the Leonin ranger whose savvy ability to read people has garnered him great success in recruiting the absolute best people for the job. He's very thoughtful, he's charismatic, and he doesn't hesitate to ask the uncomfortable probing questions someone in his position has to ask. I will be playing Dreadfang, a bugbear rogue who is highly sought after for their sneaking skills, fully comfortable in social settings and wielding their considerable charisma to effect. Dreadfang is a parent to several young children, and she plans her jobs around having care available for their for her children. She astral projects into this meeting. All right, see if you can figure out what our topic of the day is. Nick, as our narrator as well, please take it away. Crackjaw, an old copper dragonborn whose adventuring days are long behind him, marked by tragedy and the loss of his crew. Crackjaw has hired Francis to assemble a crew to track down an old friend who may yet live and could be in danger if discovered. We join Francis and his recruits in the Last Ray's Inn. So glad you could all make it to the interview. My name's Francis, and I have to say I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, Before we go around and make introductions, uh, Dreadfang, is the astral projection coming through okay on your end? I can hear you all right, but the projection's a bit blurry. That's no problem, no problem. Uh, Lumen, uh, since you're closest, could you uh, try to give that crystal a quarter turn? Get us in focus. I'm adjusting the crystal now. Let me know when things are focused. Perfect. Right about there, I can see everything clearly. Perfecto. Uh, All right. So why don't we go around the room and hear a little bit about you all. Uh, Starting with you, by the window. Ha! Well, I'm Babin, but you know that. You found me. Uh, Menon, Menon, for the others. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm Babin of the Hookfell. 
No better tracker in the swamps here, and no better chef of gumbo. I'm sorry, could you speak up just a little or towards the crystal? Couldn't quite hear that last bit. I said gumbo! What you want is to get the best greenstones and sweet meats for Yaru, then you're... P- pardon, Babin. Uh, Dreadfang, is, is that better? Yes. Would anyone mind taking notes? Already on it. Baba, you mentioned greenstones, and by that, did you mean... Oh, I, I think we'll get back to the recipe in a bit. Uh, thank you, Lumen, for transcribing. Baban, you came highly recommended as a tracker. Can you, uh, speak on what you can bring to the table? Aside from the gumbo, that is, though, that will be more than welcome. Appreciate having a cook with us. C'est bon, c'est bon. I, I can find anyone or anything in the swamps, and in the waters and the forests around the city, too. Uh, Tijon, my daddy, he taught me every nook and cranny of this land. But, uh, I have to ask, this is the person we're looking for, they're in the city, no? They were last seen here, attending a gala on the sunset tier. Apparently they're known to run in high society circles. There's, uh, another such fancy to do being held in Steephope. So we may need to take the Infinitum, the lightning rail, to get there. Bon, bon, I, uh, well, I've, I've got what you see here that's strapped to my shell and not much else. <laughs> and I don't have a suit and tie. Oh, no worries there. And uh, no one at the table should be concerned about the cost, either. That's built into the job and covered. The client has provided what funds may be needed. Then, if I may, I have a question. Please. Given our quarry is likely to be seen at these fancy events, how likely is it that we will be questioning and interacting with, um, highly educated and aristocratic individuals? Oh, very. Is, uh, is there a concern? Well, my own skill set tends to focus on the arcane, rather project-based, you see, and I'm afraid I'm not fully comfortable in a situation where I'd be forced to speak at length with practiced conversationalists. I'm going to second that. I spend all my time talking to birds and little critters who tell me what they've seen. I don't know what aristocratic means, and I don't think I need to. I can help there. In my profession, it's not so uncommon to have to chat one's way out of hairy situations, or to charm one's way into an inner circle. If Lumen and Babin feel more comfortable exercising their skills outside of conversation, I'm more than willing to pick up the slack. That is much appreciated, Dreadfang. For my part, I will be the face of the operation, so to speak. Please be assured each of you was brought here because I have vetted your skills and expertise. We're not just asking where someone is, we're also likely to be protecting their whereabouts from other interested parties, bounty hunters and the like. Each of you is necessary for this operation. That is where I thrive. Furious action where my spells can bend chaos to our will. I eagerly anticipate the proverbial poop hitting the fan. Oh, I like her. I request partnering with Lumen when the poop hits the fan. Francis, you've mentioned the infinitum. Us possibly needing to travel even further away. I'm game, but I do have cubs at home that need tending to. Any chance you have a possible schedule I could plan around? Of course. I've, uh, I've brought a copy of the train schedule, which we'd have to adhere to anyway, if we need to head to Steep Home. Uh, the information I have so far leads me to believe our target is indeed in Steep Home, but I don't know where, or who else exactly is after them. So we need to do some careful inquiring at one of these galas, confirm Steep Home as our destination, and find Crackjaw's missing friend before these other hunters do. And, uh, by the way, as mentioned before, our client has deep pockets for this job. So if it'll help to have a partner or friend stay with your kids, uh, we can compensate for time off their work or commitments. Well, that is awfully considerate. Seems you've thought of everything. Not at all. We're very fortunate to have the resources we do on this job. But, to be honest, seems to me all this should be the bare minimum if possible. I was a bit hesitant about taking this interview, but I must confess this talk has put me at ease a great deal. 
I agree. I will start the gumbo. Extra green stones for everybody. Again, these green stones? I'm in as well. I look forward to meeting you all in person. Fantastic. I'll tell Crackjaw we're on the hunt. All right, that was our quick little scene, and hopefully you put some guesses as to what we're talking about today. Today's topic is accessibility. But first, our cast. I'm Nick. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. And an odd fact about me is I play Australian rules football in the United States Australian Football League. Amazing. That is an odd fact. Hi, my name is Emily Graymore. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. And an odd fact about me has lost me many a friend, actually. Um, I'm ashamed to say it, but I don't like cheese. I know. Oh, my God. I know. Cancel. You can see their Cancel faces the right now. I'm looking at them on. <laughs> we made it two episodes. That was good enough. Oh, my God. I know. I'm about to get shunned. I'm about to get kicked off this entire podcast. <laughs> <laughs> But there you Goodness go. Gracious. Ibrahim. Um, yeah. Hello, everyone. My name is Ibrahim. My pronouns are he, him. Uh, odd fact about me. I Listen, I don't do much. Um, I Odd fact about me. I, have, I was running a streamed game before I had ever GM'd. Wow. Oh, whoa. Ooh. That's impressive. Yeah. Yep. So yep. Very good. I was approached Dang. for prayers in the static. I had never GM before. I had played literally in one or two tabletop role playing games to that point. And it's like, hey, you want to produce for this stream? And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and I am Hannah. My pronouns are she, her. And my odd fact for today is I collect souvenir spoons. I like that. That's cute. That's a good one. Specifically when I travel, especially when I travel in foreign countries. Mm-hmm. Um, I, not otherwise, but when I travel to foreign countries, I select, I just co- I collect souvenir spoons. Great. Now, moving on from cheese and going on to the splendid snack, which is today a biscuit, because I'm a Brit. Uh, today's topic is uh, going to be accessibility. Uh, and accessibility means many different things for many different people. Uh, we're going to talk about a few of those today. And as you may have noticed, some of them came up in our little scene earlier with accessibility, childcare being one of them, and also making allowances for people who are not neurotypical and how they interact with the world. Now, let's get into the chocolate hobnob of this topic. Nick, do you have anything to say? Yeah, I think accessibility is such a overlooked topic in D&D and it's especially an important one in modern time. I think it's one of the things that has made the hobby grow so great for TTRPGs is that we are trying to get more people to the table, literally, and Mm -hmm. find not just representation for them in characters, which we'll talk about, but how to actually play the game. Um, For instance, I was visiting uh, my grandparents this past weekend and uh, in their 80s and 90s, respectively, and asking all sorts of questions about what is this? Like, how do you physically sit down and play this game? Is there a boxed board game? Is it? Mm -hmm. And and I was trying to explain, well, no, we could all just play right now. We don't even need any dice. I don't need anything. 
Um, so the accessibility is, is just describing in how you would play the game as well. Uh, there's so much to it. Uh, to that effect, um, I know we've all had different experiences playing TTRPGs. Um, mine, typically with uh, the, the campaigns I run for kids, I do it on a screen where they just join a Zoom meeting. I use digital maps and artworks and things at different times, but that's just the way I play. Um, so, I mean, Hannah, I'm sure you've had a different experience as well. Yeah. I mean, it's part of what I felt very strongly about the character that I was in our scene um, with the playing uh, in a hybrid model, um, as reflected from that scene, because the group that I do most of my TTRPG playing with is now spread across the country. We met all together in the Boston area. We played for a couple of years together, and then a couple of our members moved out to the Midwest, but we all still wanted to play together. And I know that it was a very long journey to find some sort of system to appropriately accommodate them in a way that was fair because we started out by playing on zoom or i think at the time it was um, actually skype and we would aim the camera of my laptop computer at our physical map with all the minis on the table and they couldn't see it very well and sometimes we had audio issues. Yeah. And of course, with the events of the pandemic and lockdown, even mm-hmm. those of us who were living locally had to go online. And so these days, our hybrid model of playing TTRPG locally with some friends who are not physically present, um, first of all, we've refined that so we almost always use digital maps over Roll20. Um, so that everyone has sort of an equal footing on seeing the map and being able to participate and actually physically move their own tokens or be in the room with someone who is manning the computer that moves their tokens. And the other advantage to that is another of our members who does live locally doesn't drive himself and also has small children. And so him getting to us is a little more difficult. But Mm -hmm. if we play online or if we have the option of him playing online, even if some of us are local, are present at our house because we tend to host, um, this one friend of ours can stay at home and just type in our Discord chat, hey, going to help my wife put my kids to bed and go off and take care of that and then Mm -hmm. come back in later on. Usually not too, too terribly long, but we're able to accommodate that and still play with him and still play with our friends in the Midwest. Yeah. And if someone gets sick, we still have those tools. We can play together. And it's really made for a much more positive experience because we can play more often and more people don't have to be left out here and there. So I feel very strongly about using technology to accommodate people being able to not be physically present uh, even if they, uh, people being more physically present, um, even if, uh, how do I want to say this? Please cut the rambling out. <laughs> um, I feel strongly about uh, being able to accommodate people, even if they can't physically be present in the room with you. Mm-hmm. 100%. Gotcha. Yeah. A- accessibility, it, it, it benefits everyone because it allows you to play yeah. with your friends in ways that you hadn't been able to or wouldn't be able to just because of like that particular day somebody can't make it there physically if you have that option if you have that setup if you're flexible enough to be able to uh create an accessible hybrid space like that super helpful yeah absolutely i i i've been kind of um 
bucking against the trend here where it, it tends to be divided into two people, like the overall way you approach a TTRPG and how to play being either online or in person. And the constant thing I've heard for so long is that, you know, if, uh, if you got to play online, there's really great ways to do it now, but, oh, the experience of being in person is, is, is hard to beat. And, and true, it is very fun, especially if you're in a close group of friends you feel comfortable with. But I have found, especially because I, I do my campaigns for kids who are typically taking homeschool education or kids with a lot of um, neurodivergence and uh, non-typical with heavy quotation mark mm -hmm. behaviors, even in a group of friends that you're comfortable with, going online might actually be better in some ways because you might feel more comfortable role-playing where you get to mm -hmm. turn your camera off for half a second or, yeah. you know, rip a huge fart or something off screen, anything. <laughs> Remembering to mute first, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do what I did. <laughs> and, and another thing that I really like about that is part of what our table really enjoys is the meta commentary. And we mm. tend to get together over Discord where there's the wonderful GIF feature. And yes. the amount of meta commentary that we put in there, but also that if we have something, if we need to check in with somebody on a question, we can type it in the chat and we're not going to interrupt the discussion going on. If I have a question for the GM and it's not an urgent question, I can type that in the chat so I don't forget what I want to say, mm. um, which I know is definitely something for some uh, people of various neurotypes. You, you need to say it when you need to say it. And yeah. I can type it into the chat and take that anxiety off of myself of remembering to bring this up because it's already been brought up and it can be addressed at the at leisure at the ability of the other people in the group mm -hmm. yeah it doesn't have to interrupt the scene and exactly. you don't have to forget it so yes. it, it always having more options for different ways to communicate and communicate asynchronously is yeah. always beneficial in my opinion yeah but that's just not a downside another thing that, that i'm thinking of for that helps me personally um, is whether I'm playing online or in person, the folks I play with have been very generous of letting me stand up and move around. If we have a fairly big table, so sometimes it can be a long time before we get back around to various, to any given individual's turn, I will get up and our kitchen is adjacent to the room we tend to play in and I'll start doing the dishes. I'm still listening in. I'm still participating. If they need me, I can run back in. But it gives me a chance to do something with my hands so that I'm not sitting there zoning out, maybe, you know, going and playing a game on my phone such that I'm going to stop paying attention. And it really helps me stay engaged with the game, even, you know, just to get up and move around. I know we have some people who will stand up at the table and lean over the, the, the board or whatever we're playing with. Um, and just the grace that they've given to not question that and not think that it means I'm not engaged and not enjoying myself and that it's actually helping facilitate my participation. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. 100%. And there are other like concerns when it comes to accessibility. Uh, these are all really important to discuss like with your GM, with your other players, mm -hmm. um, having all these different forms of communication and allowing people to live their lives um, because they want to play the game, but they also have responsibilities. Right. Um, but another one that I think is often forgotten is like sort of the accessibility of the actual playing of the game. Things like relaying the story in a way that people aren't getting bogged down with t like just 
pages and pages of lore that they need to research. Like, mm-hmm. if you want to have lore for your world that is extremely detailed, there's nothing wrong with that. But if people are going to be at your table unable to really participate or to like uh, engage fully with the story because they haven't read your your lore treatises then <laughs> that we're we've come to a problem right yeah and i think a lot of this definitely goes into communication which we've talked about in our um, episode on on uh, session zero a lot of it does go back to communication and just being on the same page of what everyone's needs are um to the point of uh, maybe related session recaps or just keeping track of lore. I heard somebody talk about how they recorded their sessions, not for streaming, not for presentation, but they had a very generous member of their table who would edit and transcribe so that they could re-listen because they were really bad at taking notes and they were able to listen back to what had happened. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, I know that not every table that's going, not going to be right for everyone, but it's definitely an option to consider. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my classes for safety, they're off the outschool.com platform. And for safety, every single one of them is recorded and archived. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, with a stipulation that you can absolutely cannot share that out. Uh, in my format, it's for my classes, it's very, very useful uh, because I'm running 12 campaigns concurrently at the moment. And when a kid asks me, you know, hey, Beardy, what uh, what items did we get from that dragon last time? <laughs> Kid, I have no idea. Let me go back and figure it out. <laughs> Let me go watch yeah. the watch the tape and see what happened. But it's also wonderful for when I relay the stories of what happens in these kid campaigns because they're just mm-hmm. off the wall amazing every time. I have made a strict rule to myself to never um, abridge, never improvise what happened. I go back and I watch it and get the exact wording that the kids used. And it's very useful to me. Um, and I think for a D&D group, even with adults, uh, D&D, TTRPG, whatever game you're playing, if there's like a really cool moment or something impactful, and you can have a sense of pride about that too, especially people who didn't do theater or anything like this when they were in school, you can have a really cool moment in a game. And if you've recorded it, that's something really neat that you get to keep for yourself. Uh, that is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if, if you're not one of those people who just absolutely hates the way their voice sounds when recorded. So there is that to consider as well. <laughs> it's a good thing that I am one of those people and that I chose to engage in the media where I am constantly listening back to my own voice all the time. <laughs> um, I'm so sorry, Ibrahim. <laughs> it's so fine. Um, but there's, there's also like, this is a bit of an aside, but there's just a really cool thing you can do when you are pulling the exact words that people said, you can have that home alone to yak back talk boy moment where it's just like, what did, what was your answer when the lich asked you what the purpose of life was? And you can just like, I can, I can prepare that clip, bring it to the session. And Mm -hmm. when that comes up and they're like, no, I would never say that. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I have it recorded. Oh. Yeah, Dungeon say Master's that, but... worst nightmare is having, <laughs> having their, their words repeated back to them. Right. <laughs> it's oh, a very man. fun thing that you can do that kind of stems from creating these uh, notes and additional ways for people to access what the, he- what the heck is going on with your story. Yeah, because uh, that's the thing about accessibility. It's, you know, you, you may first think of it in order to accommodate a difference somebody has, but the opportunities to be creative and play with it are endless and everyone can benefit. 
mm-hmm. 100%. I think as well, like um, accessibility, again, covers so many different forms. Uh, one of the ones that I shout about, especially with Wizards of the Coast, is affordability. Mm-hmm. Uh, accessibility on actually just sort of initial outlay and things that you need to be able to play the game can be very, very difficult for some people to get their hands on the whole kit and caboodle um that needs to play some of these games um all the things sometimes they feel they need but right or pressured to need you know what i mean uh you know they don't have to have those things but feel like they need to have them to to be proper players or gms or anything like that um i think it's really important to if you've got people coming into the game from scratch just saying hey you can have this wonderful limited edition thing which is hundreds of pounds but also you can just have a scrap of paper right. or hey you can just have a free sort of like D beyond character sheet and it's all all fine um i mean I think technically that can be very we daunting can make our own character sheets too yeah. right like yeah. yeah if and there are plenty of character sheets you can download online some of which are free um, one that I remember mm-hmm. going around the internet a while back was the dyslexia character sheet yes. where they have some things are color coded and they have different symbols surrounding certain numbers. So it's easier to physically read the character mm-hmm. sheet for some people with certain uh, challenges. I know we haven't really been able to find a large print character sheet existing for people with vision challenges. Um, there's also mixed opportunities for not great opportunities for screen readability for all TTRPGs. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But there's also, that's not to say that a very, that a, a given GM can't take a little bit of time to create something mm-hmm. that's going to uh, work for that. It doesn't need to be all these fancy formatted different boxes you need to know what information you need to know and then organize that in a way that's easy to follow for the given yeah. individual. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I have I, gripes I, I, with the default. Oh, sorry. No, Ibrahim, please go ahead. I, I have gripes with the default character sheet. For one thing, yeah. the text is really small. Mm-hmm. And for another thing, the format that they use for like the different ability modifiers, it it will have the base stat next to it in a lighter color, like almost invisible yeah. gray after you print it. And, you know, it, maybe that's not a problem if you get the official ones that come with the book. I think it still is. Uh, the ink is a little bit darker, but it's still very difficult to make out which uh, stat each ability score is pulling from. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of those little things where if these were formatted in a different way, it would make more logical sense. Like if yeah. all of your strength abilities were grouped together, that right. wouldn't yeah. be an issue. It, yeah. You wouldn't. You would see. Okay, these are the strength ones. These are the dex ones, and the default character sheet. You know, it doesn't do that well, and it's also mm. a very small font, and it's difficult yeah. to make out, and it's spread across three pages, and that's one of those things where if you can clear that up, if you can make it easier for people to just play and not right. have to page through multiple things to figure out what they need to do, yeah, that helps everyone. Makes your games faster. Makes it more fun. Makes mm-hmm. people not think of D anD D as a headache. It's just a universal good. Yeah, Absolutely. I and I, I think on on that, like the idea that you can fit this game to what you need slash want. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when my grandmother is asking me these questions about like, what is D&D? What is TTRPGs? How do you play? For, for everyone listening, I mean, really base level is you are just agreeing on a certain set of rules for doing a choose your own adventure style game. 
And yeah, from yeah. there, it spirals out to all the bells and whistles to having projected digital maps on a table or an actual LCD screen on a table with physical minis that you have bought and painted yourself. It can be that. It can be completely digital. Um, it could be drawn on a piece of paper or a whiteboard marker. You don't even have to have dice if you really don't want to. Mm -hmm. And on that, that is a thing with TTRBGs. Um, but I want to I want to catch myself because there's an argument about well, you're the DM, you can just do it the way you want, or you can just overwrite this thing that has been presented or sold or published. Um, I had to get into this discussion with some kids uh, this past week about uh, something that has hit the TTRPG sphere recently, and we're going to talk about, uh, because their, their question was, well, why don't as a DM, you just make some changes? And I had to explain why there is a limit to that and why mm -hmm. there's an effect. Um, so if y'all want to, we can dive into that topic a little bit too. Let's do it. Yeah. I mean, I think, okay. uh, representation definitely is tied to, um, uh, tied to accessibility. Cause if whatever our, our identities are, if we're not seen in it, um, we definitely, uh, don't feel welcome at a table. So I think that's definitely yeah. a part of it. Seeing yeah. someone, um, say someone just a part of a game that represents you fairly and justly in a way is so important for you to feel welcome um and that's in any kind of in any kind of way whether that's accessibility kind of like physically whether that's sort of like culturally there's like so many so many things and i think it's so important mm -hmm. so We've, we're kind of dancing around it just a little bit, but I, mm -hmm. basically what occurred over a little while back, what occurred a little while back was that Wizards of the Coast announced that they were going to be bringing back Spelljammer. I think Spelljammer's been, it's been since second edition, mm -hmm. right? 1980s, I think. I remember 1980s, something like that. The last time there was new Spelljammer content was quite a long, at, at the very least 20 years ago potentially 40 um yeah. <laughs> uh so the the announcement that they were bringing back spelljammer was very popular and one of the things they've been doing is sort of like drip feeding things from that book the book is out um but the one of the races that are were part of that revival uh was was the hadozi and the hadozi are these sort of flying monkey people um and, you know, there's, hold on, I want to make sure I approach this as delicately as I speak, speak candidly, Ibrahim, don't worry about it. I was going to yeah. say, you know, don't feel like you, you have to be any kind of delicate about it. Okay. Honestly. Um, so yes, to all of your points, there are some barriers to accessibility that are not typically considered barriers to accessibility that only affect particular groups of people that exist, not in the mechanics, but in the narratives that we promote. Um, Wizards of the Coast released the Hadozi race, and the Hadozi race as released were a race of monkey people who had been subjected to chattel slavery and had been uh, mutated from their original small uh, primate forms into these larger uh, humanoid ape people. Um, there is nothing inherently wrong with animal-themed races, but when we are not approaching how we depict those races and their cultures critically, there are problems that arise. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they are described as resistant to pain. They are described as resistant to damage, which is a stereotype that exists to this day in medicine that people of a certain complexion, quote, black people, um, are not able to feel pain the same way. It's why I had a root canal where I I was not properly sedated. I was able to feel that. Jesus. And, you know, the point is that there are a lot of these stereotypes that exist to this day. And mm-hmm. while people can pretend that uh, if you see uh, if you see racism or bigotry, then you're the problem for seeing it because I didn't see it there. Yeah, That is not at all the case. Until yeah. we live in a world where people have never experienced oppression based on these stereotypes, that can never be the case. Um, returning to the Hadozi, the issue at hand, I believe, just from the jump, Chattel slavery in fantasy is never pleasant, and it's never necessary. Mm-hmm. Fantasy role-playing is not a history course, and replicating those things in your game is not raising awareness for them or educating on them. It is just replicating. You are creating new depictions of it. Um, and to pretend that you're doing anything else by putting it in your games is odd to me. It, it, creating a game is a creative endeavor. You are creating new art that has these horrible, horrible things in it. You have to think about why you're doing that. And most of the time, I think it probably shouldn't be done. Most people don't have the range to do that respectfully. Yeah, agreed. Absolutely. And when a kid asked me, you know, why, why are the Hadozi off the table? And I told them like, hey, we're not in a, we're not in a classroom. Um, so I'm going to talk about it a little bit and explain to y'all. And they, these, these three kids were 11 and 12. Um, and I explained just briefly, like, Hey, this thing for many reasons, this happened, but they are very clear stereotypes Then you may not be aware of these, but they are very harmful stereotypes. And when the kid continued to ask, like, I understand, but how, how do you think these can do harm now? And I said, to be honest, um, I know that just seeing these still exist does a lot of harm to people and it's heartbreaking Mm -hmm. to even me to see it. Um, But also that I'm not an expert on this and I can't speak to this personal experience. And so I don't feel comfortable going forward, handling that kind of character. Mm -hmm. And I do kind of the, the same thing with certain, certain spells or classes uh, in, in D and D and other TTRPGs that may not have been intended to be harmful to an even lesser extent than the Hadozi, but it's still there. And I don't feel properly uh, capable of handling that with the right respect that it deserves. And I, I, I would hope that that should be the default position of people. This is not a, oh, we can't say anything these days. Like anyone ever says that, it's an immediate red flag to you to not talk to that mm-hmm. person. But it's not that. It's not that we have to look at every single little thing and find a problem in it. The problem was there for everyone to see. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that immediately makes the game inaccessible. It is a sign that says, yes. this game is not for you. Exactly. And that is why we did this. I mean, it just, and, sorry, no, go, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say that um, I think it just shows um, hugely that the team working on Spelljammer just didn't have to be honest it feels like they don't have any kind of like 
representation within the team right because you feel like someone would have picked that up and even if they don't have representation within the team who are working on it directly if it's a really really tiny team all it would have taken is half an hour in front of a sensitivity group to kind of like just spot it from a mile off and the fact that they're not they're they're putting these things out to the world and they're trying to kind of like put this through to to hundreds and thousands of people and trying to be more inclusive and they're not even thinking that hey something from the 1980s might might need a check first before we Mm. just kind of throw that out there things might change and while the example that we're specifically referencing right here is something that is the lore created by a company that produces lore for a given ttrpg in this case dungeons and dragons um first of all I argue that part of making our TTRPG space as accessible is speaking out about these problems and Mm -hmm. holding companies like Wizards of the Coast accountable toward that. And then the other point I would make is this also applies to homebrew worlds. And as people creating homebrew worlds, we need to be aware that there may be things that are unconscious biases of ours that don't don't occur to us. I I would I'm not sure I would really place this in the same vein as the Hadozi specifically, but in general, for all various different things, we have unconscious biases that we may not think about. Yeah. And people who create homebrew worlds, who GM games, need to be willing to not take it personally if someone calls you out on something that you didn't realize was a problem, and. Uh, take that with grace and be willing to make those changes in order to make your table accessible to the people that you're playing with and to any number of people. I think what I'd want to really clarify is that bigotry that slips through the cracks is no less harmful for its subtlety. And Mm. I'd like to just really push the idea of impact over intent. You can intend nothing but the best and still cause harm. So even in these cases where you have nothing but the purest of intentions, it's important to listen to who is telling you that you have caused harm and to really take those words into consideration because those are an aid. Those are a benefit. Those are a blessing in disguise because they are being told to you so that you can change. Absolutely. Uh, Ibrahim, you mentioned before the, uh, the idea of projecting and mm. pro- pro- projection is the the first defense of the prejudiced. Mm. It it is a thing that people with unconscious bias, when you shine a light on those, it is so easy to feel defensive and feel attacked. Uh, and unfortunately, that clouds and and shrouds the victim from you. And we as humans want to empathize with people, but when you're colored by your own defense about this. Um, yeah. and you know, the, the, the little bit of surprise and shock confronting yourself on this and that, that does, it happens from, from issues as severe as a Hadozi down to, um, another huge, uh, what, what I would say is a, a really nice moment in representation for TTRPGs, the combat wheelchair, right? Yeah. That, the, the idea of having a, a wheelchair that is, has rules assigned to it and everything for, uh, players with non-typical, again, quotation mark, uh, body types, that the idea wasn't 
hey, DMs, you only have stares in your campaigns. You're horrible. That's that's not, it's, hey, you may not have thought of this, but here's a way you could include yeah. more players. And the reception should be, oh, that's amazing. I can immediately make these adjustments. I don't think anyone was thinking I was being malicious with, with my uh, mm. exclusion of wheelchairs in my game. Now I get to mm-hmm. include them, and that's a good right. thing. So, like, actually, the combat wheelchair, I think, is a great example of accessibility and, like, a good example of accessibility being implemented into the game, not only because it was, uh, you know, it's, it's just cool to see a combat wheelchair, but also because yeah. there are a lot of people in the disability community who had criticisms of the design of the combat wheelchair. Of Like, uh, I think one of the more common depictions is these really uh, large, uh, thick-rimmed, studded wheels. And it's like, well you got to hold on to them. So the studs are not going to work. <laughs> it should probably point. just be a regular yeah. wheel. Um, and then it's like, oh, we have spikes off the center of the uh, the axle. Uh, we don't need those. Let the, <laughs> the chair is just the chair. Let the chair be the chair. There's We have like places where we put things on the chair. The, the rims is not really for it. And it's like, it, that's one of those opportunities where you took a step in the right direction you have received more feedback, you can now refine that step you took and you can roll back some things and implement some new things and you can create something that is actually putting the needs and the desires of that uh, marginalized community forward and putting their uh, putting their thoughts first. And I think to that end, uh, to all of, of these ends of making examples of different types of people in, in the worlds that we create and being accessible in that fashion with representation. Um, for those of us who follow various different creators online, it's so important to follow people of different walks of life than our, our own, um, to try to make sure that you pay attention to what people in this hobby of different races, different types of abilities, different life experiences of mm-hmm. from you are saying about how they want to feel represented in the games that they're playing. Um, and this, I would say, both goes for players, GMs who are creating homebrew, and also I know that there are game designers out there creating independent games. It's so important to listen to different people because if you don't know, you don't know. But if yeah. you open your minds and open your ears, you have a chance of learning. Yeah, I, I've been very fortunate to be in a play test, which I'll plug at the end too. Uh, but it is being created in a South Korean, or I'm sorry, a Korean mythology. And mm. it is being created by people who are directly connected to that culture. And that's so cool because the accessibility is there and these considerations are being taken from them um, as you know, they're, they're, they are the sensitivity readers. And even still, they have people in their group who are currently connected to the spiritual system. And they, they go to them and say, Hey, is, is what we're doing? Okay. With this. And, uh, you know, it's really cool to see from that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I love that because that goes back to the whole idea with TTRPG that a lot of, a big part of it these days is about collaborative storytelling. It's about collaboration and creativity. And that marries both of those perfectly. Absolutely. Um, Emily, uh, did you, had you mentioned before about lore and the story accessibility? Someone, I I may have got that wrong. Someone mentioned it. Wasn't me. (laughs) As much as I'd like to take that. Oh, did I? (laughs) We'll talk about it in the session. Um, I bring that up? 
So, um, accessibility of lore. so speaking about accessibility, and we mentioned uh, getting into the lore of a campaign. So even even outside of the actual accessibility and able to play the game and the method you use to play the game, getting into the story. So on a dungeon master side, approaching the lore of your homebrew world, there are many different approaches for that. But on the greater side of a lot of people getting into D&D right now because of Stranger Things. And I think... Uh, a lot of D&D people and TTRPG people are at once, their hearts are lifted, but also a little bit of rolling of the eyes uh, without trying to gatekeep, but explain to people that, yes, they are playing one of the original forms of D&D and all the stuff they do is inspired by the modern forms of D&D, but that is not only what D&D is. And then explaining something like critical role which is, mm. you know, the, the most famous stream right now. But that lore can be extremely dense. Those are four hour long play episodes and there are 115 in the first two campaigns. Uh, I am only just now within three episodes of catching up after four years. <laughs> uh, I mean, honestly, when I saw how many critical, because everyone was talking about Critical Role when I first kind of got into this space, and I was like, all oh, right, okay, something to watch. And I just saw, one, how long each episode is, and two, how many episodes there are. And it was so daunting. I watched maybe two, and I was like, no. <laughs> yes. And then moved over to Dimension 20, where I was in a much comfier space, because I knew what I was in for. But yeah, I will maybe come back to Critical Role. But yeah, it's it's a lot. Yeah, I mean, for those who want to create their own streaming shows, there are various different ways of, of approaching that. I know some that like Dimension 20, like Unprepared Casters, that mm. things do sort of have a reset button, either hard or soft, between various seasons. Um, and the seasons are much shorter and the episodes are much shorter. Mm. And definitely both from a player and a listener, in the case of streaming episodes um, or streaming sessions uh, standpoint, the density of lore is definitely something to consider. Yeah. 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 One thing Xandria Unlimited uh, is intense. Yeah. That is what I've heard. I'm really, I'm really excited to get into it. But it, it, I mean, I have to put them on, uh, like on, on the background on my phone while I'm driving, while I'm working out, mm. while I'm doing something, just to have it. My my better half has mentioned that as as much as I've tried to tell her the story of the first campaign of Critical Role, uh, <laughs> that the cartoon has been fantastic because it really condenses things and makes things approachable. And mm -hmm. I think that's a wonderful side effect of that. One other thing I've seen that's really cool, uh, a uh, uh, just for your local game, uh, one dungeon master has been using uh, the mid-journey AI uh, art bot. Now, I know there's a whole discussion about the ethics and morality of AI bots, and we'll get into those one day. Uh, but what's been really cool is they wanted to make a short little graphic novel for their players oh, to give that's some backstory. And they just used very general prompts in this this art artificial intelligence bot because they're not an artist themselves. Some and of those AI things to, are really good. Yeah, and they were able That's to just really brilliant. quickly produce yeah. a little comic, you know. Mm, yeah, I love so that. there's a lot of ways that. to introduce your players to story and lore. Um, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I've had, I've had one campaign where a bunch of kids invented a religion in my world. <laughs> and it became this, awesome. it started out as a long con to make money. And then it turned into this beautiful, inclusive religion. And I promised them, I said, hey, you know what? In all my campaigns now, the the Turks 
is now an official religion and is recognized and other players will encounter this. So your players will also have uh, an effect on the accessibility of your Mm -hmm. lore because they'll build Mm -hmm. it themselves. (laughs) Well, and there's different ways to do lore recaps as well. Um, The Westmarch that I've tried to on and off be a part of and help run Um, We do session recaps by, um, we actually award XP to individual players if they are open to writing a journal entry immediately following the session so they recap it themselves so that that you can, and this this raises a little bit away from accessibility, but so if you do want to work on the idea of your players being their own unreliable narrators, but have, so having it in their words, um, something that you can encourage, of course, that's not going to be something that everyone is capable of. But find what works for you and your table. You know, is it important for the GM to make time to write a session recap? Do you want a designated scribe at the table to be the one to make the session recap? Are you encouraging everybody to make their own session recap? Um, Journal entries, stuff like that. Um, Are you doing an audio recording so that you can do playback? Um, You know, or this little comic thing that you were mentioning. There's a lot of different ways to recap lore depending on what's right for your table and having that discussion beforehand can be really useful to the engagement and enjoyment of the game. Absolutely. Um, All right. Are there any other topics associated with this that y'all want to hit? There were a couple more accessibility tools that I did want to bring up. Yes, please. Mm. Um, Just some pretty simple stuff. Uh, Electronic dice rollers that calculate the results can oh, be a very My useful so thing. I mean, I, I'm a dice dragon. I am very into having my little click clacks that I can roll, uh, <laughs> play a rogue, have all those D6s when I do sneak attack is very mm-hmm. fun. But also sometimes calculating everything when you're on the spot, I have a lot of math anxiety and Same. I know that there is also an advantage to being able to use those electronic dice rollers that just calculate it all for you. Um, you know, on the other hand, having other players at my table who don't side-eye me when it takes me, you know, three <laughs> minutes to calculate all my, my dice together and my modifiers is also very, very useful. Um, so that was one thing that I definitely wanted to make sure we brought up. Um, and another thing was uh, various visual aids item cards, spell cards, whether you buy official, buy them from an independent seller, make them yourself. I know when I play a spellcaster, I will sometimes create a Word document describing what my spell is in my own words so that I have that easily accessible. Because it doesn't, like we were saying earlier, the character sheet, there's not enough space for everything. And Mm -hmm. so I like to make sure that I have everything in a format that's easy for me to digest at a moment's notice and pick what spells I'm doing. I have Um, so many bookmarks it's ridiculous so like (laughs) at the moment all of my stuff is is online as well as much as I would love to be able to get back into sort of face-to-face um uh, playing I think even then I'd probably still have my laptop on the table because like uh, you know that you said the kind of do all of my my click clack adding up for me please that's wonderful (laughs) yeah by just pressing one button um as much as like the rolling of the dice is so satisfying like it's a sort of an asmr for me like just Mm -hmm. (laughs) dnd beyond just for that reason having that simplicity of character sheet and just clicking a button having it all there amazing the only thing Mm -hmm. i would say with that is just having a uh a large print mode 
for D Beyond would be really, really good. Just like a simplified sheet. I know you can zoom in, uh, but that's not always helpful because then you have to scroll a million miles to get to wherever you need to go to. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so D&D Beyond, if you're listening, yeah, or hey, if anyone is listening, there is a gap in the market for a, a large print uh, character sheet if anyone wants to get going on that. And hey, ASMR um, people, uh, just, just sit there and roll dice and you'll have at least one listener. Exactly. Oh, honestly, exactly. theories. Yes, if there's someone just sort of different dice, surfaces, like half cardboard, an hour. wood. Oh. <laughs> I mean, Give me I think, goosebumps thinking about. <laughs> I think when it comes down to accessibility, the thing that strikes me as most important is to listen and be patient. Yeah, listen mm-hmm. to the people you're playing with and have patience with them, because a lot of the struggles people have a lot of the possibly annoying quirks so to speak are things that you can as a group overcome that will bring everyone's enjoyment way up and so if you're patient with one another and you listen to one another it will always further the accessibility opportunities mm-hmm. i think that's a great way to to sum that up and if i could you know, finish us on this topic on a happy note. Um, I have a story related to this, uh, the accessibility when we spoke of the difference of being in person versus online. And I have found personally, you know, my own little business is because we do it online. And a lot of these kids, they've never met each other. There, there are some family members who join together, but most of them have never met. And they will continue to play for months and months and months on end in campaigns. With accessibility, um, I can't divulge you know, personal information, but I had one student who played from the hospital um, more than once and blurred their background and everything playing just fine. We play over Zoom and these kids didn't realize that in that meeting for safety, they cannot send each other private messages. They can only send me private messages. Mm -hmm. Well, this goes into that as a DM, it's not always completely on your back. Listen to your players and watch your players because they will show you how to improve. And these kids always just make me a better person because that kid's playing blurred background, obvious hospital gown and messages start coming across because the kids think they're sending them directly to that kid. They were trying to send a private message so they wouldn't put them on the spot. They wouldn't highlight them to anybody else. And they were simply asking Hey, is everything okay? How are you feeling? Is there anything we can do? Do you want me to do this instead? And the thing was, all of the kids in that group were independently sending that kid a private message. So your players will give you clues on accessibility as well. And they'll help pick up the gaps that you have if you listen and pay attention. So uh, with that, If everyone wants to give any pluggables they have, uh, I'll start us off. Again, I'm Nick. You can find me at Delightful Dungeon Diving on TikTok. Um, My Instagram's linked there for fun pictures and stuff. Uh, I am going to plug a new source book coming out on Kickstarter called Undying Corruption, a Korean 5e adventure. I've been playtesting with this uh, source book. It's amazing. I can't wait for it. The art is incredible. So please... Even if you don't intend to uh, to put any money on Kickstarter, if you could get on the notify me list for that, it really helps the project just get more attention. And it's it's very, very, very cool. So that's mine. 
cute. I'm uh, Hannah. Um, <laughs> I'm <laughs> Hannah. You can find me on TikTok at critical underscore stitch for my takes on TTRPG, critical role, cosplay, and the like, uh, and find other links within my link tree about my work as a performer, voice actor, historic tour guide. Okay, I will I will go next. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so I am Emily Graymore. Uh, you can find me on TikTok at Emily Graymore with an E on the end. And you can also find me, uh, the thing I'm going to be plugging now is the other podcast that I'm doing at the moment, which is Unbalanced Encounters. And that is a D&D actual play which is also a bit of an audio drama uh, and I enjoy that quite a bit uh, so go on to unbalancedencounters.com and you can find everything there that's amazing everybody listen to it <laughs> please do it's really really good uh, thank um, you. Uh, my name is Ibrahim uh, you can find me on twitter at cosmic underscore Eeb Eeb is spelled I-B-E um, uh I, I can't plug Prairies in the Static right now. We're on... Uh, actually, we'll be off hiatus. Um, Prayers in the Static uh, every other Friday uh, on the Nameless Domain Twitch channel, which is a bit of a change for us, but we're going in a new direction and we've got some exciting things ahead. Um, check us out there. Uh, you can also check me out there uh, every other Tuesday where we're doing a playthrough of the... Uh, Disco Elysium, Disco Elysium Final Cut. Ooh, um, so Disco Elysium. Yeah. that's very fun. We're having great times there with Measurehead and with our favorite detective. Um, we're going to try to get Kim to like us. It's not going well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we're going to keep trying. So uh, yeah. All right. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in this week and we'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. I'm fucking up for everyone here, so no one else has to. <laughs> <laughs>